You know, there's almost nothing that most parents won't do for their kids. I actually read a story this week about a young girl who had a very favorite doll, and that doll had all kinds of twists and tangles and knots in its hair. And the mom, she tried, like, like every mom, everything she could do to get all those knots and tangles out of the hair and had no luck. So obviously the daughter is upset. The mom feels like she hasn't come through. And when she was about to just give in and be done, a friend of hers said, have you ever thought about taking your doll for a haircut? And some of you had the same thought that I thought. Like, that's crazy. That's, that is absolutely ridiculous that we would take a, a doll, an inanimate object, for a haircut. But like most parents... There comes a time when you do what you got to do, right? So she starts researching, and this may help some of you. She found out that the American Girl doll store has a salon. And so she makes an appointment. They show a mom, daughter, and doll for the appointment. They put the doll in the chair, and the hairdresser starts asking questions. Well, how is your day? What are you looking forward to this weekend? And that's when it got really uncomfortable. Because they had no idea who the hairdresser was talking to. Was she talking to the little girl? Was she talking to the mom? Or was she talking to the doll? I still don't know. I had to stop reading at that point. But most parents will do almost anything for their kids. And we're going to read an account of a man today who would go to any length for his daughter. Over the past several weeks, we've been looking throughout the book of Luke at people who are having encounters with Jesus. We've seen some miracles, we've seen some discussion, some teaching, and we've been able to glean some simple truths to apply to our lives, how we can love people better, how we can have a deeper, richer relationship with our Savior Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at another encounter, actually two encounters, that Jesus has in Luke 8. And you can start making your way there now. <clears throat> Excuse me. I believe this morning that we will be able to glean some behaviors. Some behaviors that we can imitate if we want to grow in our prayer life. Some things that we can do if we want to take some steps forward in our prayer life. When talking about prayer, Charles Spurgeon once said, True prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. The Apostle Paul encourages us when he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I think we can all agree that prayer is vital to our life. It's vital to our relationship with God. But how can we grow in our prayer life? I hope this morning that we will all see some behaviors that we can imitate. Would you look on with me, Luke 8, starting in verse 40. It says, When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell face down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house. 
because he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was dying. Now there's a lot that happens in just the chapter Luke 8. There's a lot. If you go back and, and you look over the chapter, you can see that Jesus is moving from city to city. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's sharing parables, he's healing people. Uh, this is where he calms the storm in the boat with the disciples. He's challenging their faith. He's encouraging them to do things. Uh, right before this encounter, he actually sends a legion of demons into a herd of pigs, and the pigs run off the edge of a cliff. And the, the garrisons were in, in, in the city where he was in, this freaked them out. They were, it says that they were afraid of Jesus, and they asked him to leave. They're saying, we, we don't want you here. You're not welcome here anymore. You need to leave. And so that's where this story picks up. So they get in the boat. They head back to Capernaum, and they enter a city. And as you can imagine... There are people who are following Jesus back and forth across the sea. Uh, they're following him from city to city. And every city he enters, there are people waiting. They're wanting to see the show. They're wanting to be in proximity of Jesus. They're hoping for a miracle or some kind of provision. And this was no different. So as he begins walking the street, he's quickly met by this man named Jairus, who shows us the first behavior that we need to imitate if we want to grow in our prayer life. And this is going to sound really elementary, really simple, but I believe it is very, very important. The first behavior is we need to take our requests to Jesus. And friends, I believe, I've seen this to be true in my own life, is that's often not our first step. That's often not our first choice. We'll go to every doctor, we'll talk to every friend, we'll get wisdom from the world, and then when we're at our last option, we're like, maybe I should pray. And maybe that's just me, but I think that that should flip. That our first choice would be to take our requests to Jesus. Verse 41 says, just then a man named Jairus came, he was a leader of a synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house. So scripture describes him as a leader in the synagogue. He was likely a prominent leader. He probably oversaw uh, the services that happened, any affairs that, that went on there. He, he oversaw the, the elders. A man in this position would have been a man of great reputation and probably of great wealth. So he, it would have taken a great deal of humility, a great deal of courage for him to step out of that position to pursue Jesus and to ask him to do anything. Especially since at this point in history, at this point in Jesus' life, the Jewish leaders are trying to figure out how can we trap him and how can we kill him. Jairus went out of his way, the risk of his reputation, at the risk of his position, to seek Jesus' help for his dying daughter. And we don't know what he had already done, what ends he had already gone to to seek help, but we do know that in his coming to Jesus, he was desperate and he was humble as he approached Jesus because we see in the text that he fell down at Jesus' feet. He falls down in submission to who Jesus is, to honor him, to say, I am in full reverence of your authority 
So picture, if you will, the most powerful person in your circle, in your sphere. The person who doesn't ask for permission, the person who has authority to speak in, to do what they need to do. Now imagine that they approach someone else, they cast aside all that they've worked for, every right that they have, and they they bow down in submission to another person. If you know leaders like I know leaders, that's, that's a hard picture to come up to in your head. And as hard as that is for us in our current context, it was even more drastic in the first century that this man in this position would fall on his face before Jesus. Jairus shows his desperation by falling at the feet of Jesus. But he's taking his request to the one man who can solve his deepest need. And if that wasn't enough, he is literally begging Jesus to do something. In the CSB, we, we read the word pleaded, that he's pleading with Jesus. If you read the New American Standard, it uses the word implore. But I think probably the, the most true to the original text translation is the Bible commentary of the message. And it says this, he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him. He begs Jesus to move, to heal to come to his house and to do what no one else could do, to do what only Jesus could do. And folks, there is no better place to take our requests, to take our desperation, our needs, than to Jesus. Paul instructs the church at Philippi to take every single request to God. He writes in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The things that burden us, the things that we deeply care about, the areas where we have the most need, those are the the areas where we need to reach out in our desperation for help, for hope, for healing to the one source that can meet us in our need. Just like Jairus, we can take our requests to Jesus. Those big things, those small things, and everything in between. You see, he came in his desperation. His hope was that Jesus would come to his home, heal his daughter. And possibly to his surprise, at his request, Jesus starts moving in that direction. Jesus started taking steps towards Jairus' house. We can't miss these four important words right there in the middle of verse 42. It says, while he was going, while Jesus is moving, while Jesus is in the middle of answering the request of this man, See, Jairus humbled himself. He sought the great healer, and Jesus was seemingly about to answer his prayer. This is a story of of great power, of healing, of trust, and of grace. But then something happened. But then everything changed. Because Jesus stops. And so as we read these next few verses, I want to encourage you 
to put yourself in Jairus' shoes for just a moment. Remembering that he has just endured possible humiliation in coming to Jesus. He had the courage to ask something great of Jesus. And then Jesus started moving the hope that he would have been filled with. And then the middle of verse 42. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. And a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of Jesus' robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him in the presence of all the people. She declared the reason that she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So let's look at that from Jairus' perspective for just a moment. I would imagine that newfound hope that he had, that something miraculous was going to happen for his daughter, almost instantly turned to frustration. I mean, from his point of view, Jesus has now stopped. He is distracted. He is focusing his time, his attention on someone else. And he heals another person when every minute matters for the life of his daughter. And then it gets worse. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. I don't know that there could have been worse news for him right at that moment. He had done everything that he could do, and his daughter still died. And I would imagine that he blamed the woman. And I would imagine that he blamed Jesus for prioritizing someone else over the need that he had. If only Jesus had kept moving, if only they had gone a little bit quicker, his daughter would still be there. And we'll come back to Jairus in in just a moment. But we can also learn something from the interruption, from the unnamed woman in our text. She's outcast, and yet she pursues Jesus. She shows us something about growing in our prayer life. At first, we're going to take our requests to Jesus What we can learn from this woman is that we need to touch the cloak of Jesus. You see, she'd been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years is a long time for anything. But especially something that is embarrassing, is ostracizing, is uncomfortable. But it's actually even worse than that. You can go read Leviticus 15 on your own. I won't uh, get into the ins and outs of what was allowed and not allowed, but there are rules in the Jewish law about a woman who is bleeding. Essentially, she is ceremonially unclean. And it goes further than that because anything that she touches becomes unclean. 
And it goes even a step further. Anyone who touches anything that she has touched, that she has sat on, that she has brushed by, also becomes unclean. And so because of this, she would have been completely ostracized from her society. She wouldn't have been allowed in worship. She wouldn't have been around her community. She probably hasn't had any meaningful interaction with people in 12 years. She's completely alone. Imagine 12 years of being outcast for something that you have no control over. Mark's version of the gospel even tells us that she had been to doctor after doctor, that she had spent every penny that she had to try and figure out a solution, to try and get healed, and there was no help for her that could be found. And then, she sees Jesus walk in front of her. And she says, I know that he can heal me. I just have to get close enough to him where I can touch his cloak and he can heal me. So what do we do with this in our context today? Because Jesus is not going to come walking in that door and you all flock to him just to try to touch his, his robe that he's wearing, right? And I'm not uh, encouraging you to try and find some antique that someone tells you, like Jesus walked by this, he breathed on this, he touched this, he wore this. You're not going to find that. So what do we do with this in, in our context today? As we are taking our request to Jesus, I believe that we need to touch his cloak. That means we need to pursue him. We need to run to him. We need to read his word, listen to messages about him. We need to study the character of God, and we need to allow those things to reinforce how we confidently and faithfully seek him in prayer. You see, Jesus doesn't magically or unknowingly heal this woman. But she sought him out and he met her need. Here's what D.A. Carson explains. He said, We may be tempted to dismiss her belief as superstitious, but Jesus did not do so. His healing power did not flow from him automatically at her touch. It was under his control. He responded to the faith which he knew to be present. Then he called the woman into the open so that he could complete her cure by restoring her self-respect in establishing a personal relationship. She could no longer regard him superstitiously as a magical healer. And I wonder how many of us approach Jesus in a similar way. Maybe we open our Bible and we hope that the wisdom will just spill out. Or we hope that we'll just somehow, maybe magically, understand everything that we read on a page. Or maybe after weeks or months or years of, of searching for answers, we finally decide that we're going to take our requests, our desires to the Lord, and we believe that He is somehow contractually obligated to heal, to work, to move, because we've gotten to the point where we need Him. And we expect that to happen on our timing the way that, the way that we want. Folks, Jesus was in full control of the, quote, power that left him. But this woman, she showed great faith, and Jesus healed her when she came to him in that faith, knowing that he could. 
And I love the desperation that she shows. There's no telling how many people she had to pass. She knew that she wasn't supposed to get close to Jesus. She knew that she definitely wasn't supposed to touch Jesus. But she was desperate, pursuing the Savior. And then I think about the crowd. I think about the needs that were present. There were probably people there that were sick. There were probably people there who were hungry, who were poor, who had great needs that Jesus could meet. But they weren't to their point of desperation where they said, I'm going to pursue Jesus like never before. You see, proximity to Jesus didn't fix their deepest need. They weren't desperate enough to pursue him. Warren Wearsby explains, you can be part of the crowd and never get any blessing from being near Jesus. It's one thing to be pressing him and another to touch him by faith. We may not have a strong faith, but we do have a strong Savior, and he responds even to the touch of the hem of his garment. Folks, having your Bible on a shelf doesn't help you meet with the Savior. Friends, popping into church every once in a while, it doesn't make you a follower. We are all in desperate need of an encounter with Jesus, not just being part of the crowd, but grabbing the hem of His cloak, casting our cares on Him, pursuing Him in faith, putting all of our hope and our trust in Him. Our prayer should be fueled by our desperation for God. I'm going to say that again. Our prayer should be fueled by our desperation for God. Our time in Bible study, when we open His Word, it should push us deeper into prayer. Our time in fellowship with other believers when we're sharing our lives, when we're talking about what God is doing, when we're experiencing His Word together, it should draw us deeper and deeper into prayer. When we're pursuing Him and laying our needs, laying our desires, asking Him to move in incredible ways. Folks, that's how we touch His cloak. So we take our requests to Jesus. We touch the cloak of Jesus. And finally, as we turn our attention back to Jairus for a moment, we're going to see the final behavior that we can imitate. And it's one of the hardest things that as believers we can do. is to trust the timing of Jesus. Look back at verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, Stop crying because she is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she would be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded 
but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. So keep in mind, Jairus is is likely standing next to Jesus when he stops to heal the woman. And Jairus is also probably standing next to Jesus when he receives the word from his house that his daughter has passed. Jesus stopped to heal someone else. And in his poor timing, in his distraction, at least in the eyes of Jairus, it cost his daughter her life. Unanswered prayers are some of the hardest for us to understand. I remember praying for well over two years, almost night and day, that God would heal my first wife, Sarah, from cancer. And he did not answer that prayer the way that I wanted. Didn't answer it in my timing. And there are so many of you who have been praying for months, some of you praying for years, for healing, for wisdom, for wayward children. You're pouring your desires and your needs out before the Lord and you have not yet heard from God. And that is a hard place to live. And some of you are still standing in that tension with Jairus this morning. You've asked God to work, to move, to heal. And just when you think he's about to answer, just when you see things are are starting to happen, you're right on the edge and then you see him move for somebody else. You see healing happen over here. You see provision happen over here. You see forgiveness and restoration happen over here. And you're standing going, God, I thought you were coming to my house. Why are you stopping? And you're living in that tension. But once that bleeding woman was healed, Jesus continued on to Jairus' house. And I would imagine if you're Jairus, you're completely frustrated, you are angry, and you feel like the window of opportunity has closed. Why is Jesus wasting his time here? That's what I'd be thinking if I was Jairus. But Jesus assures him everything's going to be fine. And upon arrival, Jesus instructs these professional mourners who are there to mourn over the loss of this daughter. He says, hey, y'all quit crying. I'm about to do something. And they mock him. They laugh at him because they know that she is dead. She has probably been dead for quite some time by the time that they arrive at the house and taking a small group in. He says, child, get up. And he resurrects the young girl. There's so much that we could unpack in this interaction. And I wish we had time to do that this morning. But the principle of waiting on the Lord's timing is the most prevalent issue that he has put on my heart for us this morning. So what have you been praying for? For days, weeks, months, for years What are the needs that you've been taking to the foot of the cross? What are the desires of your heart that you feel like God has given you and you're asking Him to work and to move? Do you trust that God can work and that He is going to do so on His timing? 
Oswald Chambers wisely advised. He says, when God brings a time of waiting and appears to be unresponsive, don't fill it with busyness. Just wait. And friends, that's difficult. In our fast pace, get it done now. Push your way to the front of the line society. But when is the last time you took the desires of your heart, your deepest needs to God, and then you told him, you said, you know what, God, I'm going to wait on you to move because I trust your timing. I'm not saying that this is easy. And I'll honestly confess to you that I struggle mightily with this. I do not have this mastered at all. But what I can tell you for sure is that our God will perfectly answer our prayers in his perfect timing. Even when it doesn't make sense in the moment. Even when it's not how you would have answered your own prayer. Perfect answer in perfect timing. Friends, if we want to grow in our prayer life, we have to take our request to Jesus. We need to touch the cloak of Jesus. We need to pursue him. And we have to trust the timing of Jesus. So as we close this morning, there's one more uh, picture that I want to draw out of this passage. This young girl's resurrection is a picture of what Jesus was able to do then and that he wants to do now for us, even today. God's word teaches us in Ephesians 2 uh, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Without Jesus, that we are as good as dead. Jesus teaches us in John 10 that he came so that we may have abundant life. Pastor James taught us last week that the purpose statement of Jesus in coming to earth was to seek and to save that which was lost. We can have a relationship with Jesus. We can be restored by Jesus. When we come to him in faith and we say, you know what, I'm done living for me. I want more of you. Jesus meets us where we're at. He doesn't say, clean yourself up and then come. He says, no, bring me all your burdens. I want, I want the mess of your life. And I'm going to heal it. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to walk with you. He gave his life so that we could experience hope, forgiveness, and freedom. He gave his life so that we could cross over from death into life. John 5.24 says, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death into life. Some of you needed that good news today. If you have never made the decision to trust Jesus with your present, to give him your whole past, and to know he has something great for you in the future, today is the day of salvation for you. You can confess that before the Lord. You can ask him to heal you, and he is faithful to do that. It would be an honor for any of our prayer team, any of our staff team to talk with you, to pray with you this morning. But I believe there are probably some here today who say, yeah, you know what? I need to grow in my prayer life. 
So I want to challenge you to take a few minutes here and to tell God that you trust him. And to tell God that you're not going to stop asking. You're going to continue to bring your request to him. You're going to continue to bring your desires to him. You're going to continue to ask him to move because we have a good father who wants us to bring those things to him. But you're going to confess that he knows better than you and that you're going to trust him to do his perfect will in every situation and in your life. However the Lord is leading you to respond this morning, would you pray with me as we respond? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And collectively we say, God, that we trust you. Father, it is not easy for me to let go of the reins, to know that, that you are going to work, that you are going to move, that you are going to do what you need to do. Uh, but God, I want that so badly. So would you help me understand how you're moving, how you're working, the way that you are, are bringing all things together for, for my good and for your glory? God, I pray for the man, the woman, the child this morning who has been desperately pleading with you for a long time. Father, would you meet them in that need today? God, would you position them at the foot of the cross saying, God, you know what's best and I trust you, but I'm asking you to move. God, would you draw these behaviors out in us that like a child, we're willing to ask for anything. But as you grow us, God, that we'll trust you as you move. Would you move in this place now? We give you this time. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan Rush here, and I just want to thank you for being with us at Kingsland Online today. What an honor. But I'll tell you what would be even better. We'd love to see you get connected with the physical church in the days ahead, if you haven't already. And that means maybe if you're local in the West Houston area, we'd love to see you at Kingsland. Otherwise, regardless, we'd love to help you facilitate uh, jumping into a local church near you, and we can do that together. You can go to kingsland.org slash online connect. kingsland.org slash online connect to find out next steps on your journey. Listen, thanks again for being with us today at Kingsland Online.